On this podcast, we share a lot of stories and often the mental health aspect of the work we do creeps in. If you think you might be feeling depressed, stressed, anxious, or even overwhelmed, please consider visiting our sponsor, BetterHelp. BetterHelp offers licensed therapists who are trained to listen and help you. And they even have therapists who specifically work with first responders. You just fill out a questionnaire to help assess your specific needs, and then you get matched with a therapist in under 48 hours. You can talk to your therapist in a private and online environment at your convenience. Many first responders work rotating and often odd schedules, so this format makes it really easy to talk to someone when it's convenient for you. If you don't click with your therapist, you can request a new one at no additional charge anytime. Join the 3 million plus people who have taken charge of their mental health with an experienced BetterHelp therapist. Get 10% off your first month at BetterHelp.com backslash roadie. That's BetterHelp.com slash roadie, R-O-A-D-I-E. You can also find the link in the show notes. If you put a couple of first responders together in a room, something interesting happens. Before too long, they'll begin sharing stories. They're not trying to one-up each other, they're simply finding common ground. I was fortunate enough to serve my community as a paramedic and a firefighter for over 25 years. As you can imagine, during that time, I acquired my fair share of stories about the incidents and the calls I was involved in. I thought I might write a book, but then I decided sharing these stories collectively in a podcast would give anyone listening an insider's view into the work that first responders do every single day. These are the stories of the men and women who courageously serve the public or as I like to call them, stories from the road. Welcome back to Stories from the Road. I'm your host, Phil Klein. And today I'm not sharing the mic. Today I'm going to share my story instead. You know, over the course of doing this podcast, I've been very fortunate that friends and colleagues and even some new friends have come on here and talked about their stories. So I thought it was only right that I take an episode and share my story from the road. At 18 years old, I became an EMT. At 20 years old, I became the youngest paramedic in New York State. And I started working for New York City EMS as a kid who grew up on Long Island who didn't know a whole lot about New York City. I spent my first year working in South Jamaica, Queens in the early 90s. Um, and, And I don't want to take away anything from anybody else. But when you run a million calls a year, you see a lot of things. So we ran a cardiac arrest every tour. We ran multiple shootings during the week. We ran horrific car accidents. We had folks that we knew, children that we knew, that we took care of on a regular basis. We got ourselves into some tough situations, and we got ourselves out of some tough situations. But that was where I was as as a 20-year-old, and it was the best time of my life. Eventually, I rolled over to the Nassau County Police Department, And I became a medic for them. And I am so grateful that I had the experience that I had in New York City because when I worked for the police department, I worked in a one-man ambulance. I worked the same job that Medic Rob worked. And you're in an ambulance by yourself. The police officers, at least when I was on that job, were trained to the level of EMT. 
but the police officers didn't necessarily want to be EMTs. They wanted to be police officers. But the way the system worked, a medic was in the ambulance and the police officers were EMTs and they would show up to the call with you and then they would jump in and drive the ambulance to the uh, to the hospital. And it was a, it was a tough job. Uh, you had to make a lot of decisions on your own. Uh, you had to rely on yourself. And, I, and I'm grateful that I had the experience in New York City because I had a lot of confidence going into that job. And I don't think I would have had that had I not had uh, the experience that I had in the city. So fast forward a few years, I uh, decided to play softball. I have a bad knee. Anybody that knows me knows that my knee will jump out at any given time. And I decided I was uh, rounding third base and I was going to score. I think I was trying to score the tying run or the winning run, blew my knee right out rounding third base. And I was sent up to the uh, fire police academy where we taught EMS to firemen and policemen. That's where they put me on light duty. I, I didn't really have anything going on. I was just, I was on light duty and they, they stuck me up there. So there were a group of guys that were trying to learn a skill in the EMT class. And one of the instructors said, you know, Hey, Klein, go work with them and, and see if you can help them out. Make yourself useful. Uh, so, so I did. And uh, I, I spent some time working with them and getting them through that skill. And they were proficient at it when they were done. And I realized that I had a knack for, for teaching. So when my light duty assignment ended, I went back to the road. And probably several months later, I was invited back to the academy to, uh, to be an instructor. And it was a good time. I was... I was teaching an EMT course. Um, I was actually teaching uh, a mass casualty class during 9-11. And we worked together with some, some great instructors. We joked around. You know, we were our own little family. And uh, I remember somebody knocking on my door, and they said, you know, hey, Phil, a plane just hit the World Trade Center. And I had some colorful language back to them when I politely asked them to leave the room. Not thinking that they were serious, I thought that they would give me a hard time because I was teaching a class on mass casualties. And then several minutes or, or 20 minutes later, another instructor came and knocked on the door and said, send your class home. We're going to work. Not being on light duty anymore, being someone that was on full duty, I was assigned to go out to a post and man an ambulance. And I will never forget the words of Tom Cronogue when I was walking out the door he was a salty old police officer. He had been up at the academy forever, but he looked at me and he said, hey, kid, keep your head down. And those words, to this day, stick with me. That's about as far as I will go into that day and talking about it. But I tell you all that to tell you that that was where I was in my career. It was 2001. I was teaching in the academy, and after those events— my wife and I decided to make the move and leave New York. So I was on my way out. And they were giving a promotional exam. And I knew I wasn't going to take it because I wasn't staying on the job anymore. But I knew a lot of my friends wanted to take it. So I volunteered to work a Saturday so that one of the guys can take the promotional exam and I would cover his post for him. And that's where this story really comes from. So it was, it was a... It was a typical Saturday. There really wasn't much going on. It was, it was kind of slow. And I worked from 7 in the morning till 3 in the afternoon. About 2 o'clock, I picked up a call for a, a woman who was sick. Really nothing terribly wrong with her. Uh, she was very pleasant. I remember we chatted in the, in the ambulance for a while and talked about my move. And I provided some care for her, but it really wasn't anything intense. 
and I drove her over to the hospital and dropped her off. And I remember she wished me good luck. And I was putting the sheet back on my stretcher. I was loading it back into the ambulance. I was getting ready to go back to the post and get relieved and go home. And that would have been my last tour working for the police department. So this is uh, a small town on Long Island, and I had to cross over the Southern State Parkway to get back to the precinct. And I remember just about being on top of the Southern State, and one of the officers, it was a guy that he was cool on the radio. You know, he uh, he would call his police car a cruiser and uh, always calm, never got excited about anything. And he got on the radio, and he was screaming for ambulances. So what happened was a car was heading eastbound on the Southern State Parkway in the left lane and was struck by another car. That car jumped the Jersey wall and hit the traffic that was headed westbound. And it hit a car head on. There was a small child in the back of that car that had been ejected onto the parkway. And there were other people that were injured, but the child got the, the brunt of it. So I made a decision. I couldn't just go back to the station and get relieved. I had to pick up the call. So I jumped onto the parkway and pulled up. And when I got out of the ambulance and started walking up to the scene, there was two police officers doing CPR on a four-year-old. We scooped the child up and we put the child in the back of the ambulance. And I remember JJ was there and JJ was a police officer, but he was also a medic and he was, he was a pretty good medic too. And I was, I was glad to see him because I knew that it wasn't just me and an EMT. It was me and a medic and it was a good medic and I had some help. So the two of us jump in the back of the ambulance with a child and I'm about 30 seconds away from a hospital. Now in the police department, when you need assistance, there's some codes. In New York City, it's a 1013. In Nassau County, it was a 1033. Or you request a clear channel. We also had a, had a, a procedure where we would notify the hospital that we were coming, but we would do it over a medical control channel. So it was different than a police, uh, a police radio channel. It was a medical channel. And anytime you were going to the hospital, you would call medical control and you would tell them, I have a 65-year-old woman and she's having chest pain and we're going to the hospital and, you know, let them know we're coming. And if you needed medical assistance, if you needed uh, orders to give medication, they would provide that for you. So I got on the radio and there was somebody talking, another unit was talking, giving a, a long notification about what they had. And it was, it was really, really wasn't anything terribly important. And I, I said, this is 2355, give me a clear channel. And the operator at medical control said, 55, be advised, you're on medical control. Thinking that I had inadvertently moved to medical control, the medical control channel, when I really wanted to be on the police channel. And I said, I realize I'm on, I'm on channel 10, which was the medical control channel. I said, I need, I need a clear channel. I have a pediatric traumatic arrest. And everything went silent. And the operator said, all units, clear the air, 2355, tell me what you got. And I said, I have a, a pediatric traumatic arrest. He was ejected from an auto. We are 30 seconds away from Franklin. Tell him we're coming. And the purpose of that was that we weren't walking into the emergency room blind. We, we'd at least give them a heads up, a chance to get some things set up for us. 
A traumatic arrest is barely survivable, but it's worse when you're coming in and nobody knows that you're coming. So JJ was working on an airway. I was trying to establish an IV. The cops were doing CPR and we were 30 seconds out from the hospital. And I remember rolling in, we nosed the ambulance in, we didn't even bother backing in. We pulled the stretcher out, we walked into the hospital. And I think JJ knew, I knew this was a a futile attempt, but there was no way that I wasn't going to work this kid for a couple of reasons. And one was, it was a child. And I think if you can give a child any chance of survival, then, then you do it. And, uh, we were going to give that child every chance that we had. And the other part of it was we worked day in and day out with these police officers. And there was absolutely no way that I was going to tell them that this was futile, that what they had done, their efforts were in vain, and we were going to pronounce the kid on the, on the side of the road. So we worked it. And we brought that child into the emergency room And God bless the doctors and the nurses because they worked it and they worked that kid for a while. And they did absolutely everything they could in a hospital that wasn't a pediatric trauma center. It wasn't designed for this type of patient to come in. But the rule is when you have a traumatic arrest, you go to the nearest hospital. And that's what we did. And they did absolutely everything they could. And unfortunately, the child did not survive. And I remember being mad. I was was mad for... A number of reasons. I mean, it's, it's, it's never, it never feels good to lose a kid, but I was, I was really mad because the kid wasn't buckled into the car. He wasn't wearing a seatbelt. He wasn't in a car seat. He was just, just in the car. And I, and I think I threw something or said something. I, I don't remember. I just remember being really mad and I walked past the room and in that room was the woman that I had transported just prior to this call. And she, she kind of called me over and she said, Hey, what's going on? And and she knew there was some commotion and, and, and she wasn't being, you know, she wasn't being nosy. I, I think she and I had developed some rapport. You know, she had got to know me a little bit. I got to know her in that short ride to the hospital. And she just asked me what was going on. And I, and I, and I told her, I, I told her I, the type of call that I just ran and what the outcome was. And I told her why I was mad. And uh, she just, I remember her looking at me and she just said, you know, you guys do a tough job and we do, we do a tough job. And it's hard to, it's hard to be out there every single day taking care of people and losing sometimes. And it's, uh, you know, the, the wins aren't nearly as noticeable as the losses. So that was the last call that I, that I ran working for the Nassau County police department. And it was one of the worst calls of my career. So as I think back on, I guess the last couple of months that I've been doing this podcast that I've been talking to guys, you know, this podcast never, I never set out to do a podcast that focused on mental health. You know, the idea was, it was a much simpler idea. And the idea was to just tell some stories, you know, let people that are listening know what we do every day, what kind of work we do every day. And when, and when we have a tough time dealing with it, maybe there's somebody out there that understands why, because they listen to this podcast and they know that the job that we do isn't an easy job to do. 
It's incredibly difficult. It wears on you. You know, I've, I have three kids and I don't think I have to worry about my daughter going into the fire service or being a police officer, although she did have some uh, similar aspirations, but she got that out of her system. But I worry about my boys and I worry that, you know, I, I think fathers want their sons to to follow in their footsteps and to do the same job that they did. And, and, and I'd, I'd be incredibly proud of my boys no matter what they do, but I never want my kids to do the job that I did. I don't want them to have this life. I don't want them to have the thoughts and the images that I have. I think it's, uh, I think it's incredibly difficult. And, you know, I've talked to, I talked to Lieutenant Thomas about, and we, we, we shared that I was a, an instructor for, for quite a while. That's actually how I got out of the fire service and into higher education. I was a EMS program director and taught EMT classes and paramedic classes. And there was always some guilt in that, in that line of work because I knew, I knew what I was sending those kids into. And, and, and I call them kids because they were all young and they all had these great romantic ideas of, you know, what being a first responder is all about. But it is, it is a hard life. And I, I always felt some guilt teaching them how to enter this profession, knowing what it was going to do to them. Do to them. I mean, I, you know, I have, I have PTSD and it manifests itself in just some strange, some strange ways. You know, I, I have, I have a difficult time talking about things. I tend to get overly emotional sometimes when, you know, when I talk about how proud I am of the work that, that people do. Um, I had a, I had a colleague come to me and, and talk about this podcast and ask me if I would be the closing speaker at a conference we're putting together. And I really had to give that some thought because it is very difficult for me to stand up in front of people and speak about, I could talk about anything else, but speaking about this line of work and speaking about, you know, what these people do every single day with the men and women who are first responders go out and do every single day, that is hard for me to talk about. And I, and I think part of it is because I, I, I know what they go through, but the other part is that I take a great deal of pride in the work that they do. So, you know, this podcast is, I think if it's nothing else, it's a tribute to the people that go out and do an incredibly difficult job and do it well. And for those of, those that are listening, I'm glad that you are. I hope that this brings some semblance of community and that you realize that, you know, we all have the same scars. We probably didn't run the same calls, but we all have the same scars from the calls that we ran. Um, I certainly have mine. And maybe I'll talk about a few more down the road. But for now, I just wanted to share my story. I felt it was only right since... I was fortunate enough to have some some great people share their stories, and the feedback that I've gotten is is incredible. Um, not hey, you're doing a great podcast, but you know, hey, those are things that really need to be talked about. Those are stories that really need to be told, and 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 that means probably more to me than anything else. So, thank you for listening. Thank you for listening to to my story. Um, and thank you for listening to the podcast. And if you see a first responder out there, just thank them for the job that they do. They deserve a lot more than they get. And sometimes a simple thank you means the world.